0: morning and welcome to our Daily Word and Prayer. My name is Tom Short, so glad to have you along. on this Saturday morning, we've been talking about the subject of moral relativism versus moral absolutes. And the argument I've made, I hope, over the last couple of weeks is that with Christianity, we do have moral absolutes, things that are true always. And the more that morality, it's not arbitrary. It's, we don't make it up. God didn't make it up but rather it's a reflection of the very nature of God. And remember, as we began this series, let's remind ourselves of how significant this is. In the Bible, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Remember what that means? It means that you and I, who were made in the very image of God, are made to be like God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, you shall be holy as I am Holy. You and I were made to be holy like God, where the character of God, you're not omnipotent, you're not omniscient, you're not omnipresent, you're not able to be everywhere all at once, you, you don't have all power and all knowledge, but you're made to be good like God. You're, you should love like God. You should be righteous like God. This is what we were made to be like. This is, this is what it means to be truly human and to flourish as a human being is to be reflecting the very image of God. Sin means we fall short of the glory of God. And this ought to motivate all of us to be living righteous lives, lives of faith, love, goodness, because when we do, we're like God. We worship Him, we admire Him, we become like Him, and I would argue that is when we become the most fully human, not that we're not human if we're sinning, but the most fully we reach what we were designed to be. We reach God's purpose for our lives. What an awesome thing. What a motivation to live this way, to be reflecting the image and nature of God. And so God gave us his Ten Commandments as the, the structure, the backbone, shall we say, of, of um, moral teaching. The last five we've looked at this past week where it says you shall not commit murder because God's a life giver. God's not a murderer. You shall not commit adultery because God is faithful and pure and God has given us the the importance of the family and relationships in the family where there's commitment. And that's what he's like. And that's what we ought to be like. You shall not steal because God's not a thief. God's a giver. God's generous. You shall not bear false witness because God is truthful and we ought to be truthful lies should have no part of us that's of the devil lies should have no part and we should be um, you should not covet because covetousness the one thought crime shall we say the one commandment that has to do with our thoughts versus our behavior yet this deep insatiable desire to have what someone else has that's what leads people to commit murder often or adultery, or to steal, or to destroy someone's reputation so they can have what this other person has. So these are all things that, that, as we've talked about this, and I raised a question a couple of days ago that raised a question in some of your minds, and that's what do you do if you've got two morals or two commandments that conflict? Are you, in times like that, what do you do? And if you've got to obey one to disobey, if you've got to disobey one to obey the other, is this teaching that morals are not absolute, that there are some morals that are relative? And I would argue no. But first I have to, in answering that, I made the comment that there's a hierarchy in the Ten Commandments. I think we see it clearly in the final five. In other words, It's worse to murder than to commit adultery. It's worse to commit adultery than to steal. It's worse to steal than it is to bear false witness. And it's worse to uh, bear false witness than it is to covet. I do believe we see them in all the commandments, meaning, first of all, the failing to love, if you fail at the first four, you're failing to love God, which is the great commandment. And if you fail in the last five, you're failing to love your fellow man, which is. A second commandment, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. The second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. So if you fail, so there, again, there's a hierarchy there. The most important, loving God, and a second, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Someone, once asked, someone asked me, well, what, how's the family fit in that? That number five, honor your mother and father that may go well with you. And to be honest, I'm not 100% sure. How that fits in with the hierarchy? Other than I'll say this, it is somewhat of a bridge, is it not? The first commandments relate to the first four relate to our relationship with God. The last five, our relationship with our fellow man, and that one in the middle, the fifth commandment, honoring our parents. It's it is kind of like a bridge, because often how we think of our parents, or dare I say, how our children will think about us, is how they'll also think about God and how they'll end up treating their fellow man. So this kind of a, it's a bridge there, shall we say, and does show us the importance of the family. And I dare, I think I could say, you know, someone asked, are you saying, Tom, are you saying that to dishonor your parents is worse than murder? Well, that's a tough, that's a tough thing to say. And so I won't say that, but I will say it's worth considering. Okay, I'm not, I'm not saying it, but I'm saying it's worth me thinking about worth you thinking about and I'm not making a um, claim one way or another but I will say this in the Bible to dishonor your parents is a bad sin you shouldn't do it I shouldn't do it it may not have the uh, the moral uh, penalty that you would have for murder or adultery or something like this but in the eyes of God it's pretty bad and so we don't want in any way to think well it's not that bad because it really is. So to the question today, well, so my point is that there's this hierarchy, and that leads to this question. People say, Tom, aren't all sins equal? Aren't all sins equal? And personally, I think no, all sins are not equal. Now this is controversial. And I hear people on campus, if I make this statement, I hear people, Christians and, Christians and non-Christians alike, will argue with me. I remember one time a Christian fellow telling me, no, it says right in my Bible, all sins are created equal. And I said, well, you're kind of mixing up the Bible and the, and the, and the uh, uh, Declaration of Independence there, I think it was. Or the Constitution, one of those two. No, all sins aren't created, first of all, and they're not equal. Some sins are worse than others. Now let's, to be, let's be clear. all sins are bad. All sins are bad. but some are worse than others. All sins break the law of God, but some are worse than others. To claim that sins are not equal in no way means that somehow that means one of them is okay, or it's all right to break to commit certain sins. We don't follow the Catholic doctrine of mortal and venial sins that says mortal sins will land you in hell, whereas venial sins only land you in purgatory. That's not what I'm saying. All sin separates us from God. All sin needs to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. He doesn't just cleanse the mortal sins and you take care of the venial sins. This is a Catholic teaching that, that is not in the Bible. All sins separate us from God. In that sense, they are all similar. But obviously, some sins are worse than others. In the Bible, some sins had a greater punishment than others. In John chapter 19, Jesus was speaking. John chapter 19, I believe, or 18, excuse me, verse 11 or 13. Jesus, Jesus was speaking to Pilate and he said, Don't you know I have the power to put you to death? Why don't you answer me? And Jesus said, you have no power over me unless it has been granted you from above. For this reason, the one who delivered me up to you has committed, here it is, the greater sin. Folks, in Mark 3, Jesus said there's a sin that will never be forgiven, an unpardonable sin. In 1 John 5, it says if you commit certain sins, don't even pray for that person. There is a distinction between sins, and we see it in the Ten Commandments. We see Jesus said, there is a great commandment and the second is like it but it's the second so again I'm arguing that not all sins are equal some are worse than others all sins are wrong all sins need to be forgiven all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God I've shared here before I once was on a campus and I heard someone was challenging another preacher on this and they made the argument or they were telling an unbeliever They said that if you break the speed limit, in God's eyes, you're just as bad as Adolf Hitler. And I thought to myself, come on, does God really think that? Did Jesus think that? When Jesus Jesus, uh, talked about people committing a greater sin, when Jesus talked about someone receive a greater punishment? No, come on. Sin, all sins are not equal, but all sins are bad and all sins are wrong. And therefore, we ask, well, what do you do? What do you do if what do you do if are if, if, if you you're in a conflict? You you can't obey to both of them. And the answer, I think, is found here in this verse. Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. That's first thing. When he had to make a choice, you see, their commandment required you should obey the authorities. Jesus respected the authorities, but the authorities were commanding them to disobey God. And so their answer was, when it comes down to this, we must obey God rather than men. And here's a key. They weren't disobeying men and disobeying God at the same time what they were doing, the focus is on we must obey God. Moral relativism justifies immoral behavior in order to do what I want to do. True moral absolutes, when there's a conflict, of a seeming conflict between if I obey this commandment of God, that requires me to disobey another commandment, but what is the person, what are you truly trying to do? Figure out how to obey God. Keep this in mind. This is the key. When it comes down to it, you always are obeying God. If there's two commandments, the example I gave earlier or a couple days ago, a woman comes running down the street. She's covered with blood. She's obviously been attacked. She's screaming, save me, save me. He's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. And she runs off to the right. And a minute later, some guy comes running down with a knife in his hand, covered in blood, and he says, you see a woman come running by here? Yeah, where'd she go? Which way'd she go? Are you obligated to, I mean, you say, well, if she goes, if you tell him that way, he's going to go kill her. What would you do? If you don't say a word, he might kill you. I just, I think she went that way. And I would have no problem with that because we're not called to cooperate with a murderer, a killer, someone who wants to violate the laws of God. We're not called to do that. And if I were to tell the truth at that case, I'm participating in a murder. Just like Rahab the harlot refused to tell the, the people looking for the spies. She didn't tell them where, where they were. She misled them. They went that way. And she was honored for her faith. Her faith, she put her own life at risk in order to obey God. And this is the key. Moral relativism says, I get to do what I want to do. I justify in my own mind what I want to do. Moral absolutes say we always obey God. And if it seems like a conflict between this obedience to God and that obedience to God, we need to go with what we consider to be the the most loving thing to do, the least damaging thing to do, the most loving thing to do. We trust God with that. But it's not a matter of I obey God or I do what I want to do. That's relativism. Moral absolutes, we always obey God. We must obey God, even if there's a price. And these men paid a price. And by the way, I don't know if most of us ever will ever be in this situation. I mean, realistically, about the only one I can think of of this moral relativism is probably, like I said, do I lie? If I tell the truth, someone's going to die. Someone's going to get murdered. Or there may be times God calls us to civil disobedience. That's what these disciples were doing. They were disobeying the civil authorities in order to obey God. There may be times we are called to do that. Some Christians have this absolute standard of I'll obey God. I'll obey the government no matter what. No, there are times we must obey God if our civil authorities are commanding us to disobey God. And this is a tough question, by the way. Someday we may be in this situation, you and I as Christians in our world, as we're becoming more and more dark in, in, in our current world and some of the things that are being uh, done in our world, we may be, have to ch- decide, do I obey God or do I obey man? This is a tough question. It's not as easy as we think. The, the, in, in Nazi Germany, Christian pastors were employed by the state and to follow the dictates of the state, which just incrementally grew, a little bit worse, a little bit more, a little bit more. They never came right out. It, it, it took a while until they came right out and said, really, you know, you've got to do evil stuff. But a little bit here, a little bit there, incrementally, and they gave in, they gave in, they gave in, until finally they had gone way over the line. But they believed it was required that they obey the state. And, the, and God does want us, to Romans 13, to obey our government, but never if it requires us to disobey God. I hope this helps. I hope this helps clear this up, um, and we will, we'll see if it does. Leave some questions in the comments, on the chat, or in the comments below. And if I need to address it further in the future, maybe I will. Okay? Father in heaven, we thank you for your moral truths, your absolutes, And we pray we would always live this life of I will obey God and if there's ever a conflict it's not do I obey you or someone else but I will always obey God. Help us Lord to have wisdom and discernment in our days. Help us Lord in a time when so many sins are being justified and explained away. Even in the church. Father even in the church where people are rejecting clear teaching for nebulous ideas and vague ideas. Help us to be people who stand firm on the teaching of the Word of God and to be motivated to realize that you have called us to be like you, holy, like you're holy. I pray that this very day we'd live holy lives. I pray that this very day, Lord, we would live lives that will please you. I pray that this very day, We'd walk uprightly. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you the Spirit of God lives in us. Thank you that He empowers us. Thank you He gives us love and peace and joy and goodness and faithfulness and kindness. These fruit of the Spirit. He gives us self-control. These fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit who has these qualities lives in us. All might we learn to yield to you today. And allow you to fill us with all these beautiful, wonderful qualities. Might we today be as Christ himself. Thank you, Father. We bless you. We love you. You're a wonderful God. And we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen and amen. Hey, thanks for being with me today. We are here every day, and so I hope you join us every day. I'll be back tomorrow, 8.30 a.m., because we're here every day to talk about the Word of God, pray about it, allow it to get into our lives and to transform us and to make us the people God wants us to be. And so until tomorrow, might God bless you, strengthen you, fill you with His grace, His peace, His power, His love. That's our God. God bless you. I'll see you tomorrow. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.